This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets, where when you walk in the stores, Chris Angeles, right there in front, the holiday pear. The holiday pear. Have you seen these? And we're talking about the fruit, not not two 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 of somethings. No, we're yeah. talking about the best tasting pear you will ever eat this season. Locally grown in Oregon's Rogue Valley. This Doyonne de Comis, I think I'm saying that properly. And anybody's welcome to correct us. Yeah. It's perfectly to snack on or pair with your favorite cheese. You can grab it for a sweet treat or they can wrap it up for someone special. And speaking of someone special in the holidays, there are a lot of great gift ideas throughout the aisles of Zupans. Every time I go, I see something that looks very cool, whether it's an artisan food product or uh, something to cook with or an implement, uh, just... A lot of cool things, and if you're not sure, a Zupan's gift card is great to get someone you love. So there's always something in there, gift cards, and also, because it's the holidays, you're going to want some beautiful flowers. Oh, yeah. Flowers, in fact, coming up on the 29th, which is just around the corner. In fact, it's tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Floral design and wine at the Lake Grove location from 2 to 4 p.m. That's a that is a that is a class. Yes, on how to make a great floral arrangement. Which I think so, is, I, mean, I think a lot of people have the desire to do those things. Exactly, yeah, it's kind of cool to do. Learn it so from the pros. It's a class, but even if you miss that, you can still go back and get great. Oh yeah, designs. I got so, our I got our, our holiday wreath is up on the on right the front of the house, and they're from, all nice people. So if you want oh, yeah. something kind of customized, They'll you can go over it with them. But, Absolutely. But will. the class is you do it yourself, right? And I guess you're walking out with what you build. I would so, I would assume. So that's good too. Mm-hmm. And there's also you know, check into the zoopans.com and be on their news feed so you get their specials before you walk in the door so you know where you're going to walk out with free. It's a great thing to do. So, Zoopans, three locations, Court. That's right. On Birdside, McAdam, and Lake Grove, and of course, always, zoopans.com. It is time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with Portland's very own. <laughs> it's a bad transition. Yeah, now that Portland owns Portland's me. very own Chris Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. And and Portland's very own Court Johnson. There we who, go. Who you'll hear on Kink. You notice that people throw that in. I, I was at an event over the weekend and they kept on adding Portland's very own blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, we're, we're all, we're, we are currently in Portland. Right. Does that make it? I, I, I guess, think we're all proud to be here. We are. And I'm not, I'm still here. I still have my foot in Portland. I'm, I can't. I can't say I've moved out completely, but I, I'm here a few days a week. I mm-hmm. operate from here. My business is geared around Portland. The events that I do, they all have to do with Portland. Yeah. So um, I'm proud to do that. But you know what? I'm an Oregonian. That, to me, is... Uh, I'm proud to be an Oregonian. I yeah. never felt that way about Connecticut well, I think I you. There. I think you embody what Oregon is all about. I don't know about that. I, I, no, I think so. I, I, I think you do. And, and I think our guest... Definitely does. Here's a guy yeah. who is who is not from here, right. but but I think he's established himself as. You can't have a conversation about the restaurant business or chefs in Portland, in Portland without talking about John Gorham. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and therefore, it's also an indication of how long we've been doing this podcast. We we now have him on for the third time. third time. Yep. Are we sure? I thought it was four. Didn't we do? Well, I know we've had John we've had and Renee. John once and Renee. Together. We did. We did John by himself. Then John and Renee, and then just Renee, and, and then, then John by himself again. So that's this time. That's this time. 
I don't know. I'm thinking there was another one in there, but he thought three times. But we don't know if he was including his. That his might, I, with I, I might have planted because we were walking in, and I might have planted that in his head. You know, I'm like, this is the third time. He's like, yeah, that sounds right. So Renee would have been uh, like four or five months ago, I think. Yeah, we were talking. Uh, we were talking about. Um, what were we talking about? Well, we were talking La a lot Ruta. about John. And we were talking about talking La Ruta. And, uh, and John, yeah. John. So John in this podcast will give us a very, um, pretty thorough rundown of what he has gone through medically over the past year. It was actually, we're recording this on November 26th. Mm-hmm. It was a year ago today yeah. that he um, discovered he had a little problem. Yep. Not a little problem, but let's call it a little problem that he has it behind him. Right, absolutely. But his, his, uh, his tumor on his brain that mm-hmm. he's been dealing with all year, and he talks about how that's affected him and um, the process of going through that. And also, you know, now he's opening Tasty and Daughters, the moving Tasty and Sons over to the other side of the river on Division, and uh, we're going to be able to enjoy a new spot in the old Woodsman Tavern building. Yeah. Tasty and Daughters. So that's coming up soon, too. He also does something in this, which I, I, I've I've been applauding people for some time. He gets, he, you know, as we talk about his his battle with the the tumor and then just the the process of going through that and just the the makeup of the brain. He he talks about struggles with depression, which I I, I want to call I want to applaud him for this. That we we we've, yeah. we've had artists come through Kink Radio that have actually been talking about it more and more. It used to be really taboo; you didn't talk about it. But I think it's one of those things where I think we have to have these conversations. So that we don't find ourselves in that dark place thinking we're alone. Where right. we can realize, hey, right. if so-and-so has struggled with this, then I, I can be okay too. Right. And I would like to say, you know, it's kind of like, it's like an addiction. Because once you struggle with depression, you're always fearful that it's going to come back. Right. So you have to, and there's not much you can do other than put yourself in a good environment to, as best you can. But you can't control it. It's an, an yeah. organic thing. But as John points out, it's this... An especially significant time right now because Anthony Bourdain was, yeah. uh, you know, he had a big influence on our chef community, our restaurant community, mm-hmm. and our world. Here we have a, a world of people in Portland who are interested in food and travel and those types of experiences. And um, yeah, it's important to talk about it and um, people need to know it. I've been through it myself and the the best fight for it or the best way to fight it is to remind myself where I was and how my brain was not doing very well at the time and that things look a lot better now. So if it ever occurs again, I like to think, uh, okay, remember where you were. Remember you can get out. I think remember and then also don't be afraid to talk to people about it. Yeah. Because I think that's the one thing is where people, they, 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 they put on the appearance, everything's fine, but inside... It's that darkness that we that we talk about, and that they just they don't think that they can talk to anybody about it. Right. I, I my so. best my best friend was calling me at three in the morning. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. How you doing? Right. That's a best friend. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> so and other friends too. It wasn't just one, but a lot of friends. But mm-hmm. uh, my friend Dave really did a lot for me. But anyway, John addresses that, and I think he was really. Um, it's good of him to do that because. It's, he's not the only one struggling right. with that and there are other people too. So having John Gorham on the podcast at the end of the year is great to kind of wrap up this year. We have a couple more after John, but um, we're going to have Brooke from Eater yeah. wrapping up doing uh, our annual recap of what went on and what to look forward to for 2019 
following this podcast next week. So look forward to that. Um, Everybody, have a great holiday. Yeah. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove, and at Zupans.com. Eat well, put taste first, love your food. By Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. And by Portland Food Adventures. Inviting you to listen to Right at the Fork, episode number 170 with Proud Mary Coffee's Nolan Hurdy. Then imagine yourself eating and sipping your way through Melbourne, Australia this April for nine incredible days of VIP treatment at Nolan's favorite places in Proud Mary's home city. It's all at PortlandFoodAdventures.com under the Trips tab. Contact Right at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more information and extra savings on these PFA food journeys. Thanks for coming. Yeah, definitely. I think you're. I think this might be the fourth? third. Third for me. Renee came once. Oh, okay. Well, it's the family. That sounds yeah. right. And we need to have Ron on sometime. Too. You should absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Put that right at the top of the list for next year. I was just saying to court, we're actually this starting our sixth year. Wow. Of this podcast. So, so Rob would be interesting. He's, you know, he's got his fingers in a lot of other pots too. I know. He's an interesting, I yeah. really, every time I have a conversation with him, it's great. So, um, how's Ron doing? There's a good, he's good. start to the Ron's podcast. Good. Yeah. So Ron Avney is your par- partner in everything you do. Yep. Yeah. And he has been from the get go and his story, can you top line it a little bit? Because it's pretty interesting. He, yeah, he, he, start, uh, he ended, he started in your kitchen. I met Ron at Simpatico when I owned that, and uh, he would come in for brunch every Sunday. He'd bring a tomato, a cucumber, and a bag of tea, mm-hmm. and eat brunch and tell us how much he loved it. And then one day he came into the kitchen and he said, hey, I just finished culinary school. Can I work here you know, for experience? He's like, I don't need to be paid. I just want to experience. And uh, I sat him down and I said, look, you, you can, but you can't take anyone's hours that are depending on the work. Right. So it'll have to be extra. And uh, that just got his heartstrings when I said that to him. So, and then I, I didn't know who he was. We just thought older Jewish guy went to culinary school, maybe wants to open a restaurant. He washed dishes and swept floors and stuff like that. And then one day I was doing a dinner and Michael and, um, uh, Naomi came in for dinner when, when ripe was huge and I went out to talk to him at the end and, uh, Michael's like, Hey, you want to hear something crazy? One of my main investors is sweeping your floor right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's when we had a serious conversation about doing a project later. Uh, and yeah. so, um, that he, that was, that his, that was his objective though, was to get to know you better by working I don't know if that was his objective. He had a guy that he went to culinary school with that he thought he was going to do a restaurant with. Oh, okay. So the relationship just built from there. And um, right after that, we needed a new HVAC system. 
at Simpatica. So we borrowed $10,000 from him and paid it back rapidly. You know, we paid it back in like four months mm -hmm. and he liked that. And he, you know, that's when he came to me and said, if you ever want to do a project, talk to me first. And then I decided to do Toro Bravo and I called him up and said, let's do this. Yeah, so you've now done, do you know off the top of your head, how many projects you've done? Uh, since you, since those days, since Simpatica, uh, there's been eleven projects. Eleven then. projects. Yeah, man. nine. Not you know, two of them were well. In, we had interurban. I did not do that with Ron. So right. that, there's that there's was a, a that was a good lesson. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, and then the the le the eleventh one being uh, the consulting for Raven and Rose. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so. Um, did when did you feel uh, like you were betraying Ron when you did Interurban? Like yeah, no, I'm going to do this no, one without you. Not at all. I I went to him and I said, look, I just I want this experience. I want to I want to explore this. I I let him know I thought that it would, you know, enhance our business, and uh, it did. I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of things changed after I did that project. So it was it's good. You know, I don't I don't really I don't have a desire to do a project without him after that. Right. Well, yeah, I would think so. If you've done. 11 and yeah. 10, not 10. And he ended up being a lender for that project too. So he was still involved in, you know, a small amount. Cool. So, and he's also been instrumental in things like MEC and that cuisine and yeah. getting in generating yeah. that interest in that cuisine. For yeah. You. That all, that all started with, you know, with Casey and getting his, you know, brain going on that. When we first opened Toro, I had a Basque peeper rod with a, a baked duck egg on it. And, you know, Ron came in for the tasting and he was like, oh my God, this tastes like a shakshuka. I was like, a shak what? I never heard of shakshuka at that point. And uh, he would come in and, you know, early and loved that dish. And then uh, when I decided to open, you know, he always talked about shakshukas. So when I decided to open Toro, I mean, sorry, Tasty and Sons. Yeah. Ron was in Israel and I was like, bring me back all the information you can on shakshukas. So we, we started them hard and, you know, put, you know, I think we were probably one of the first to, to do shakshukas in the city. Oh, that's interesting. Cause you, when with Toro Bravo, it was a clear Spanish bent, you know, yep. there. And then tasting sons, I don't necessarily know that people were identifying that with a particular cuisine. It was like the coolest yeah, well, breakfast spot. Well, it was brunch. That's what, that's what I mean, what's really doing brunch, brunch. And, <laughs> international brunch. And, you know, our rule was it had to be delicious and, um, we don't really play with, you know, the, the menu might be a little fusion, but the dishes aren't. No, but you've evolved. And yeah. now that's a good segue to where yeah. Tasty and Sons is going. Yeah. Uh, it's going across the river. Yeah. And uh, and you're trading in a couple of sons for the daughters that you already have. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, the move was motivated. You know, I, I loved when I, I used to live right behind Tasty and Sons when I opened it and always lived in that Northeast neighborhood. And. Williams had something special, you know, 10 years ago, there was, it was a, you know, it was a commuter, you know, walking and bike main, you know, thoroughfare. And, uh, you know, my, my personal belief is the city just blew it on that one. You know, they, will they admit, do, do they admit that? Do they know uh, a little that, bit, know you know, we, we, we've up? been a squeaky wheel. I didn't want to leave. I, I wanted to see it fixed. I wanted to see it change back to, you know, what would it have taken exactly to? Well, the first off, I think the the first thing they would have had done is put the bike lane back where it should be. You know that really it's it's an intuitive. We've seen so many car accidents and you know stuff on that road. I think bike la bike lanes period are just not intuitive for drivers. They're, right. I had to relearn how to drive in Portland. Like all of a sudden, I got to look in my right 
yeah. hand mirror to take a right turn. That's something in, I don't want to admit yeah, to how many once, years of driving once, I never did. Yeah, once we all learn that, then all of a sudden the city puts the bikes on the left, you know, right, it's just, right. you know, and then they, they, they turned it into from two lane to one lane with those, you know, medians. And what happens is at, at Tasty and Sons is the first one of those. So people go flying down the road, they hit the median and they flip or, you know, like just recently a lady actually ran in, into the house on the corner, like into the basement with her car. Wow. Yeah. Um, so when all that, and and then they did all the buildings, which we were, you know, we were hopeful for, we were like, okay, maybe once all these buildings are up, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see it, you know, change back into that, you know, lifestyle of, you know, being on foot. But I really, I really just didn't, it, it doesn't seem very occupied and it's, uh, it, you know, I just think they they took the life right out of the nighttime of that street. So the buildings are. The vacancy rates are pretty high right now. I, I they're not, they're yeah. not filling into restaurants. Uh, uh, no, no. There's a as far as commercial goes. There's a lot of space open on Williams. Well, that I know, but I didn't. Yeah, I, I don't know what the residential. But yeah. you would, one would think that that would help balance out some of the yeah. road problems. You know, and, and uh, you know, in all, in all honesty, we are having our busiest year we've ever had there, which is a strange thing to say. I want to leave now, but there's just a feeling I don't I don't really like. So I'm fo- I'm following a I'm following a feeling, right? And yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some other restaurants that came and went, and then others that are trying there. Yeah. So, um, but what do you think of the of the restaurant business as a whole in Portland now? Because it's changed. It's not the same as it was when you were doing Simpatica or when you first yep. opened Toro. Uh, the game has changed a little bit because the stakes are higher. The ability to be creative probably uh, has gone down a little bit because, I mean, I remember when I first met Ethan Stoll, first thing he said to me is, man, I envy everybody in Portland because the investment is so much lower to get in the game. So you can try some new things and be creative. They have to play, they have always had to play it safer up there. On the other hand, they had a lot of um, uh, expense account business for the restaurants, which we don't have. Yeah, there's a as lot, much. lot more money flowing up there. Right, so prices can go hard. But how? What do you feel about the state of uh, Portland I think, restaurants? I, you know, I, I think I, I'm pretty excited about it. Still, I think it's, I think it's grown. There's a, a lot of, you know, I think one thing that we missed ten years ago was, was like, you know, really good ethnic restaurants. I think that that first big wave that happened right when Toro opened, it was there was a lot, I honestly think there was a lot of people playing it safe. I think there was a lot of, you know, and I I think, you know, being the trendsetter, I I felt like a lot of the new restaurants that happened like nine years ago, you could go to Paley's place, eat Vitaly's food, and then everyone was copying that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's still going on. No, not as much as it was not, you know, you I'm starting, you're starting to see a lot more people, you know, going, going back to their roots of food. I, I love that trend, you know, mm-hmm. hearing people, you know, going, Hey, I'm actually going to honor my grandparents or I'm going to honor where my heritage is from and bring this stuff back. And, and that's that, I think that was a, a, a total miss here for a long time. And now it's really taken, taken on. Right. So they're adding the, um, the, the ethnic cuisine, uh, bent, or that's the second time I use that word, but that, that flavor to, the Northwest fresh, yeah. you know, produce, yeah. everything that's local. So, because yeah. there are so many of those. It was after a while when someone would say, what's this restaurant all about? You'd say, well, they're getting, they're sourcing from the farmer's markets <laughs> yeah. and, from the farm and, yeah. and they're doing their thing. So, um, 
But one of the things that you did at Toro and a Tasty, and you've done at all your restaurants, is it's all the food is delicious, but it's not precious. It's yep. uh, it's straightforward, and you're full when you leave, and um, you know there's no there's no fooling around. No one's really using tweezers. Yeah, the- yeah. We we I mean we we know we all want to push ourselves to get better and stay stay on trend, but, but you know uh, to to a certain extent, but. I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I've, I remember the nineties with the stacked food, everything was tall and, you know, things like that. And I think that, you know, you got to be careful of what's a trend and what's, what's real. And I, and I, and I think that we play a really a good, good game on that. That's also a little difficult in Portland because Portland is, I think, setting a lot of trends. Yep. Um, so it's hard to look at something necessarily negatively as a trend because, Hey, this could be something that is that catches on. Yeah. Pop-ups. Pop-ups. Pop-ups are one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's always, I mean, I'm always paying attention. There's always something to learn. You know, I think myself, my style, I, I travel a lot and I, and I try to bring back experiences to, to Portland that I, that I find authentic to myself or gets me excited. The danger with that is, especially with Spanish food is the more I go there, the the deeper I get into it, the more the more esoteric I go, and and then all of a sudden, you know, my 14th trip there, I fall in love with something that Americans just won't, and I and I'm so excited about it, I want to bring it back, and then it flops, or just people aren't excited about it, and that's 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 one of the you know, the that's that's probably the biggest pitfall I have is just you know, and and, I, and we always talk about dogs, you know, the, the dogs of a menu are the dishes that you know every, every chef has something they want on their menu that they love that generally a guest won't. They've done that before, and and you can be prideful and leave your dogs on the menu, and it usually takes a lot of a, attention away from other things that are selling. So I I really try to think about you know that like what's if it hits great, and if it doesn't. Abort. But it's but it's great to have the ability to try those things. Yep. I mean a lot of you know, a lot of people have one restaurant, they're not as busy, so you can't take those risks. You have a you have busy restaurants. If you put something on the menu, yeah, that, and, and sometimes I'll put something on at one place and it, it flops and uh, and I can move it to another restaurant and it goes great. You know, it just it's you know, each one of these neighborhoods in Portland really has a, a, a distinctive diner. Yeah. I've never that took me a long time to come to grips with because as someone who lives in Southwest and always has to drive everywhere to eat. So yep. there's no neighborhood to me. It's just restaurants and par- how's the parking? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a, that's yep. a factor yep. and traffic is now a factor, but, um, but it's really interesting how uh, restaurants, you know, look at small wares. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how it's doing in the new location. You probably have been tracking that a little bit. Because I have not. I mm. haven't really. Well, we'll I've ask been, Joanna. We'll yeah. show her on. I, I, I think it's doing good. I mean, yeah, I hope it is. I, I like Joanna a lot. I like her food. Right. But so they were saying over in that neighborhood where it was over in Fremont, where um, Perlow is now, yeah. the, uh, the her style of cooking, her inauthentic Asian, just the neighborhood didn't necessarily accept it and i don't know i never heard that from her but that's kind of what i well that was a tough neighborhood too i mean that's you know that's a tough neighborhood to get you know tourists or you know out of towners to yeah you know i think that's a lot of it you know if you're going to do one of the neighborhood restaurants you really got to focus on that that what you could eat every day if you if you want to if you want to kind of push the boundaries you kind of got to be where the tourists will go but it is uh 
I, I clocked it once. It's like a mile from Beast and everything up on 30th and Killingsworth. It's not that far. It's hey, not when, like when when Toro Bravo opened, and you think about how close we are to everything. Right. Karen Brooks literally, and her first review of us said we were in no man's land. Yeah, I remember that. And I was going <laughs> to ask you about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, like we are, like we are in, like you, how close could you get to downtown without being in downtown than Toro Bravo? Right. We're the first exit, and it's like you know a mile off of it. Right. But yeah, you and there are a lot of a lot of folks that broke new ground, and now. You'd look at it 10 years later, however many, 12 years later, and think, that's crazy. I mean, look at Adam and, yeah, and Jackie yeah, out, yep. out, all the way out there, and yep. they're doing well. They've, uh, and they really, they really hit a cuisine that really hits the neighborhood. I mean, I know a lot of people in that neighborhood, and they all love it. There's, it's Did they do that, research? or that? No, they didn't. That's what they wanted to do. That was what the, where, they came, where he came from. Yeah, but I think he was really confident in that neighborhood, kind of that cuisine. Right, but he also... So now he's expanded into uh, vegan, yeah, which is interesting. I haven't seen how that's done. I'm curious, but I think it's real. I, I thought that was fantastic when he's going from the yeah, meatiest yeah. guy in, you know, really meaty yep. uh, menu. So um, Tasty and Daughters. Um, now, it, that far over on Division, is that a place where tourists would go? Mm. And can they sustain I mean, well, it? I think we're a little, we're, 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 I mean, Division's definitely a tourist destination. And people know about it, especially with Puck Puck there. And right. I think uh, we're, we're, we're kind of tiptoeing out of the main tourist area of Division, which I'm, I'm, I'm happy about to kind of not be in that, the, the heart of that, that madness. And it's not far. And, I mean, and well, I'm really hoping, I'm it. really hoping to be that neighborhood restaurant. I'm really hoping to be that approachable, you can eat there three times a week if you want to restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, did you frequent Woodsman Tavern? You know, I, not that much. It's, I never lived over in that area. I spent a lot of time there. Um, when it first opened, I did. I, I, I think, you know, Dwayne did an amazing job on that build out. It's a beautiful space. I've always mm-hmm. really admired that. Um, you know, I was, I was looking, my, my lease for Tasty and Sons was coming up at the end of the year of, of, of 19. And so I, I, I knew I was going to move and I had kind of put my feelers out about, you know, what was out there. And, uh, literally I was, you know, and no hurry, just, you know, was going to do it though. And Dwayne called me up out of the blue and he's like, Hey, can we have a meeting? And he, and he was like, I'm, I've gone vegan and I'm really not drinking much. And he's like, I don't feel a connection right now to this. Do you, do you want the space? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So how long did it take for you to say yes? Um, it, I think we went back and forth for about two months. Oh, that was, yeah. it wasn't just an immediate, Hey, no, not at all. I mean, we had to work at a deal that we both felt great about. Um, mm-hmm. he owns that building. So he's my landlord, uh, will be my landlord. So, and you know, that it's, you know, every turnkey restaurant has its, um, you know, it's, it's, it's challenges as far as making it right. I mean, that restaurant is built so well but it it doesn't have a hood system big enough for what i do mm-hmm. so i i gotta i still gotta do some build out in there and then when's that gonna i'm, we're, I'm we're hoping, recording this at the end of november when's that gonna take yeah I'm, I'm i'm hoping right now i'm waiting on the final contractors um what what, uh, what we're gonna be working against more than anything is permitting because of the holidays mm-hmm. and so if i if i had my way we'd be opening up second week of february um, so we're shooting for that, oh, you know, and I, Tasty and, you, and Sons will probably shut down the, 
close to the last week of January. So I, I really want to do a. I, I, we're hoping someone takes it February first, and I really want to, you know, just shine it up as much as possible, and you know, pass that baton on with with as much pride and you know as I can. I, and I think anybody who takes it would be in good stead because you know that that location has had a lot of energy. In yeah, it yeah. Over the years, it's yeah. a good location. So, what do you? Um, it's an opportunity to do some new things yep. because I read that you you are not looking to expand what you're doing to new concepts. You want, at this point in time, just improve what you have yep. and, and stand. Yeah, I think, I think the brunch is going to stay extremely familiar. You know, we'll have the shakshuka on and we'll have the Burmese pork stew and the biscuits and, you know, all, all those hits. And, you know, we're, we're putting in a... Um, uh, a wood stone oven in there so we're going to do turkish uh breakfast pizzas mm-hmm. that's going to be one of the big things we're focusing on uh minimum which is the turkish scrambled eggs which i just fell in love with when i was just in istanbul and loved it um we'll we're also going to we have a pasta extruder so we're going to have an, a, a good pasta section at night and have a couple breakfast pastas on and you know put in a good pasta boiler and then we have a solid fuel hood so we'll like, be we'll what be, kind of breakfast pastas? How come I, I this something? I, I, well, I think the one that I that I feel like right away is carbonara. You know, I'd I'd love to have a carbonara for breakfast. Carbonara with an egg on it. Yes, that's what exactly. we're going Yeah, uh, that would be good. That would be great. Hey, Chris, right now would be a great opportunity for us to stop for a moment and just talk nicely about Ringside Steakhouse. What other way is there to talk about them? Well, it's really true. I, every time I talk about Ringside with the folks here at Kink, when I'm telling them where they should go eat, oftentimes it's like, well, what do you want? Oh, you want a steakhouse? You got to go to Ringside. And then it always leads right into the best onion rings on the planet. Yeah, well, there's that, but there's a lot. I just had the uh, rib steak for two, bone in. Oh, last time I was there a couple, yeah. well, a week ago or so ago. That that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that we had Becky McGrath of the chef from Burgerville here. Yeah, who when we asked her what her favorite burger was on the planet, she said it was at ringside. ringside. So that's right. Um, so there's that, but that that bone in rib steak for two is fantastic. Yeah, uh, their service at ringside is second to none and of course they have some really special sunday and monday nights sunday night they have a three-course meal yeah chris that three-course supper special is what they call it 44 dollars before six or 54 dollars after six it's pretty great we've done we've done that before together Right. And then I think both of us upgraded to the lobster mashed potatoes. Okay, you got to do that upgrade. Phenomenal fee. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And then, of course, Monday nights is prime rib night. Yep. So if you like the prime rib, it's a great deal at ringside. And it's a, you know, it's a good opportunity to get in there, too. Yep. Uh, right now, they've got a great deal going on with gift cards. Through the end of the year, when you buy $300 worth of gift cards, they're going to give you a $50 bonus card just for you. Or if you buy 500 worth of gift cards... Get a one hundred dollar bonus card just for you. Yeah, you don't have to use it for you either. You can you can actually make that a gift. There you go. So just get double the value, or more not double, but extra value for your dollar. Absolutely. So here's what you do: you go to ringsidesteakhouse.com, set up reservations, maybe for this weekend, and check it out. So it'll have a a Turkish flair. You're, do you bring any Spain in there? You've been traveling a lot to Spain. Yeah. So probably not that much. You know, I know I think a little bit maybe on the dinner time. You know, we are going to be we have a Spanish, you know, the charbroilers from Spain. So that you know the Jasper. So that'll be a that'll be a big piece. We're going to stick with the raw oyster program they have there. 
And uh, we really sh- we're going to celebrate a little bit of what the Woodsman's always been. So people are you know don't don't feel like they're you know pushed out of their favorite restaurant if that's where they love. Right. Well, I yeah. think you. If I could think of anybody to carry that torch, you. Yeah, that's why Dwayne called me. He said, you know, he's like, you're you're the one that I know will take care of my building, and you know, ha- has a similar aesthetic to the what you know what you're doing right yeah. so is it bigger or smaller than the current tasting it's films? as far as seating goes it's about the same size mm-hmm. um what it does have is a private dining room for 20 people and that's something i don't have in, in the in our company's you know portfolio is a, a room that's that that small you know we have we have plaza but 20 is a little small for plaza right so we're looking forward to having that and we're, we're actually going to put a hood in the prep kitchen off that private dining room to really kind of up the the level of food we can do for those 20 people. And how about uh, the North Carolina influence? Where's There'll be a lot of that, that definitely. Yeah. Because I love that. When you yeah. reopen Tasting Sons yeah. with that new menu, that... Yeah, just reminded me. You know, no, they'll not be as the, far north as, east as I came from. There'll be there'll be a lot of those greatest hits on there still too. I, I think it'll be a you know I think we're gonna probably tend to go a little more towards Tasty and Alder than Tasty and Sons, but yeah. Um. Well, yeah, and then then, you, then in time on the dinner on the dinner part, right? But yeah. then in time it'll establish its own. Oh, absolutely. So then people are gonna say, well, this yeah. is more like this because isn't that what you did when you first opened Tasty and Alder? Is it now what you had anticipated it would be? Did it, did you, you know, I, I'm sure over time. I mean, it's Tasty and Alder. I, I, you know, the, the thing about Tasty and Sons versus Tasty and Alder, when I opened Tasty and Sons, it was just going to be brunch always. And, and that's, that's what it had enough infrastructure for. And then we, we, you know, we, we decided to do dinner and, you know, we were really wanted to be like a burger joint and we couldn't, we literally could not produce the burgers fast enough for how big the room was and keep the equipment we needed to keep doing brunch. You know, I could have taken all the equipment out and put in a 10 foot flat griddle and we could have done the burgers, but then we couldn't have done the brunch program. So we, we kind of, we kind of fumbled around with our identity for a couple of years. And, um, it was out, out of all the projects I've done, it was my most like just kind of going with the wind and Tasty and Alder, I, I was much more focused on what I wanted, and I'd, I'd say it's it turned out about what I thought it would turn out to be. But that was also because of your learning experience at Sun. Absolutely, so yeah. I mean, everything's a learning experience. But then you're in a completely different neighborhood there. Yeah. So yeah. did you have? Are there nuances that that are accepted at Tasty and Alder that wouldn't work at Tasty and Sons, and vice versa? Well, the pri- I think it- I think the price points at Tasty and Alder are a little tougher. Mm-hmm. the Williams neighborhood, you know, we're able to do a little more high end steaks and we're still like the cheap, you know, as far as that steakhouse kind of theme, I think we're still probably one of the cheapest in town and that's part of the success. But, you know, we're, we're bringing in Japanese Wagyu and, you know, you know, Iberico from Spain, things like that, that, you know, drive the price points up a little bit. Are you noticing a Difference in clientele over the last couple of years now that the economy has. Well, Alder is definitely a very traveling business crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, that, I would say that's our crowd at Alder. You know, we definitely the condos over there, we get a lot of those in the bar, but the dining room is businessmen. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, yeah. when I'm, whenever someone's in town and I ask them, they often, I'm often asked where to go. 
They're already on tasting alder before that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. That one they've gotten from concierges or right. obviously yeah. reading, reading what they read, whatever they read. Yeah. But uh, yeah, people are always there. And, and my standing recommendation hasn't changed is if someone's in town one day, they have to go to one of your restaurants. Yeah, That's all there is. I used to say Toro Bravo, but yeah. now I'm like, nah, go get to one of them. Yeah. And if it's brunch at Tasty and Alder, then great. Now you can go to yeah, you know, go yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. So, um, but it makes it easy because just to say to go to one of yours, it's easier than saying you got to go to this particular one and get in. We so. we give them all the same amount of attention. We really do. Yeah. No yeah. services. Yeah. Service tough. So that um, I want to get back to 2018 and talk a little bit about that. But as long as you're talking about service, um, you know, one of the big challenges lately has been front of the house versus back of the house. And you didn't make a lot of noise about it, but one day I went to MEC and all of a sudden there was a tip line for back of the house, which I thought, oh, this is interesting. Everybody's been trying to figure out no tipping and yep. John, John and Renee just put this tip line on here. How, do, how is that working? How are people accepting well, that? Well, you know, the first, the, we told our, what we told our staff was it would be a 90-day trial period when I started it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd actually been, and I'd been, there's a bunch of restaurants in LA that did it and I'd been studying them calling them, talking to them about it, what their, what their, you know, ups and downs were. Our POS system had to also program it. Exactly. But just to, just to clarify before we get too far. So what it is, is very simply, instead of the one tip line that everybody's used to, there's now another tip line that says back of the house. Yeah. And so you can, you can decide. I like it. You can decide you're going to leave 10% to the front, 10% to the back. That's a perfect way to equalize what you're, what you need to do. Um, or, you know, twenty percent and ten percent, whatever yeah. you want to do. So that's why I think it's interesting to. Yeah, I mean, you know what we found. You know what what happened this last. I'm sure people know with what you know a lot of people know. Not everybody, but you know the feds really just were waffling and seesawing on the what the meaning of a tip was. There was um, a group of I think hairdressers and servers that tried to change legislation and basically they said, look, the, the, the guest left me this tip with the purpose of it being solely mine. So why should I have to share it? Now our, 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 our that, uh, I, I'm, I could argue that. But oh, I, I could, I could, I could argue it with all <laughs> the letters I got after we, we put the kitchen tip line on. Everyone was like, why'd you do this? I just suspected that you should be in charge of that. Right. But, but it was, you know, you never knew one month you've, Felt like you were going to get, you know, sued by everybody. And the next month they were told you it was okay. And it was, you know, one thing I like is consistency and, and just knowing that I'm doing the right thing. And so in the heat of that, that lawsuit, when everyone was waiting on the judgment, when it ended up getting judged that that wasn't correct, but, um, we decided to go this route to, to, to be safe and make sure everyone was okay. Um, I, I, like I said, I did a 90 day trial period and, and we did it, we did, we audited it every week. So we made sure what I told my servers was, I was like, look, if, if you're screwed and you're just not making the money to live, I'll flip it back in a second. If I have to, I'm not, I don't want to lose y'all. And what ended up happening is their tips stayed the same or actually sometimes went up and the kitchen ended up getting about three or $4 an hour per person more. And wow. so it, it really took them to a livable wage. I mean, like, and and I, I feel like if you talk to my company, I I'm one of the better paying restaurant groups in the city, if not the best. And and still, even at that, you know, paying a livable wage in a city with inflation coming up is so hard as this. It, you know, it, they they really need it to go up fast. 
mm-hmm. to another level, and it, it did that. Uh, you know, we accomplished that. Are you getting calls from a lot of other restaurants? Yeah, we just- do. I, I think there's a lot of people about to follow suit. I think people were a little nervous and you know just wanted to watch and see if, if it fell apart or not. But yeah, I never understood the 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 idea that no tipping didn't work because it works all over Europe really well. Yeah, and you know the control issue is ridiculous because you don't you're not controlling much after the whole service is done. Yeah. So, um, but I think, I mean, I, I go to Europe a lot. I know you do. Tipping is getting more and more embedded in their culture. Well, that's true. They really, they're, yeah, they're, they're going the other way. They're not staying their way. They're actually getting more and more embedded into tipping. Well, that's pro- probably because economies are tough over there too. So they, yeah. they need to do that. But I, I've noticed that the last, this last year, more so than others, yeah. that, um, there's a tip line all the time. There never used to be a No, no, a tip but it's, line. it's there now. It's, it's there. It's there. So, um, yep. and you know, the old thing of just carrying some change and throwing it in the dish yep. now, now it's a few bills. Yeah. So yep. it's different, but, yep. but that's, it's still a lot less than what we do here. Expect right. it, but I, what, what do you usually do over there? I, I'm at about 10%. If I'm, I really I'm, like I'm, it. I'm 10 to 15. If it's right. really, really great service, I'll still do 15, but you know, just going restaurant hopping, it's nothing special. I'll do 10. Right. Or yep. the lower end. Yeah. Thing. So my problem, as long as we're talking about it, my problem with the whole tipping thing is I wanted to, I would like, I like no tipping because at the bagel shop or the coffee shop, I don't like that moment where I have 350 and now I'm leaving a uh, dollar tip on a 350 cup of coffee. I'm not cheap, but it just seems to me to be out of whack for someone who's just handing me the coffee. Yep. And I would like it better if that was just built into the price and everybody was taken care of and I didn't have to think about it. I don't know if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm at all. Yeah, I do. This is my, yep. obviously one of my two favorite shows in life. And there's that episode at, at Starbucks when he's he's got the dollar in his hand and here's Larry worth $250 million. Yeah. It's great. And he's like, have you seen me drop it in here? Just because I'm not going to put it in if you're not looking. And <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. There's Seinfeld that. had the same one too. Did he really? Yeah, yeah, on Seinfeld, George did that. He it was when uh I just actually watched the episode. He was it was when he his boss fell in love with the Calazones and he kept going to this little Calazone shop mm-hmm. and he wanted the guy to see him tip. And the guy walked away and he went back for this dollar to, to put to it go. back and he got kicked out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't I don't remember yeah. that as well as I remember yeah. all but it's Larry but, David still. Yeah, but the same all his story. tipping stuff is great. <laughs> yeah. when, when the maitre d' isn't tipped and he gets screwed at the yeah. end. And yeah. and then my favorite is when um, this, the checks are split with Jeff and Jeff leaves a larger tip and he gets yeah. pissed off. Yeah. I love that because that happens a lot. It's yeah. like, you're looking, what did you leave? Yeah. So, um, eh, tipping. It's, uh, well, it's I mean, a, I think, I, you know, on the flip side, you know, and this is what we said, you know, we had we had people upset about the kitchen tip line. We, we definitely had people who loved it and people who hated it. And what did they say? Voiced it. They just thought, exactly, that's what we try to say. They felt like it was pressure and we're like, no, no pressure. Right. No, no, we're not judging you. We're not looking at you. We're not going to look at your face and remember you didn't get, we're like, it's there if you want it. And if you don't, don't worry about it. It's not in our culture yet. You don't have to, but people expect some of that money to go to the kitchen and we're going, hey, the feds are telling us that the wrong lawsuit goes through and I can't do that anymore. And it, it, it is, it has always been since, I mean, I've been in the kitchens for 30 years and there's always been some tips that came back to the kitchen and we're going, Hey, we're going to leave that choice to you. Mm-hmm. 
And but you don't have a like a, a memo because I remember when BWA started yeah. with the five percent or whatever percent surcharge health surcharge yeah. was. Uh, they they gave you a memo and it's it's work you had to do to eat. Yeah, we didn't we didn't want to do that. Yeah. You know, we put a little something on the bottom of the check line just so people who got upset about it are just interested. It's like I said, it's been it's been very positive for the company and and the employees. I look at it this way: what you're saying about the the you know leaving the dollar, you know, the restaurant industry, coffee, everything is grossly underpriced. It is, and it's underpriced at the cost of that labor. Mm-hmm. What what people should be getting paid, and the solution is tips. Te- teachers and cooks, man, they, yeah. they work so well, hard. And and you know, even in front of the house, everybody. And if, right. if if you know, if we took tips away and we paid everyone what they should get paid, and put that on the guest, you know, well, price well, tag, well, no, uh, could yeah, be. no, it, it would probably be fifty percent more. Yeah, you know, and no one wants that. You know, people will be like, "Why can't you just charge me?" I'm like, "Well, you you don't want a twenty five dollar burger." I'm and, starting and, to see up. Oh, you're still seeing it, but, towards oh, 20. yeah, yeah, we're getting there. But you know, I I I think that having the option is great. If you don't like that burger and this service was shitty, then you pay twelve dollars. You don't pay twenty five. It's your choice. Right. I, I think I think that what I've seen in Europe is I've actually seen the service get better now that tipping has become more part of their culture because they're working a little harder. Yep. Well, that's interesting because I know fit- the kitchen tip line did that with my cooks. They're definitely feel more connected to the guest experience. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I think about it, and I've always felt the, uh, in Italy, I mean, there's so many, so many instances where they could just give a shit about service. And maybe that'll help them bring it up a little bit because so often they really, their their attitude is like, yeah, yeah, I'm not here for your service. I'm here to bring you your food. That's it. Yeah. So, um, well, that's interesting. So you've had quite a 2000... 18, man. I was just looking somewhere on Facebook this morning. It was uh, just about a year ago that you learned of your yep. of yep. your tribulations, yep. your brain tumor. <laughs> it was literally a year ago today. Was it really? Uh, well, it uh, was a year ago on That's Thanksgiving what... that I that I, I, I had w- whatever episode, my, I had that dizzy spell that led me to being in the hospital. And then I got out of the hospital on Saturday after Thanksgiving. And then on the Monday... Of, of thanks of this Monday today a year ago I my my doctor sent me into Good Sam to have a, a PET scan to see if I had cancer in my body that metastasized to the brain and then how, how was that drive that sucked <laughs> and, yeah. well, I, I, and, and then and then that, rhetorical that, that night so so that night we go back to his office and he goes okay your your PET scan's good you don't have cancer in your body but you know chances are you have a brain tumor. And I had all of these discs from Good Sam's from the MRIs from my brain that no one there really read that I was supposed to see a surgeon, which would be th- this Thursday, a week ago, mm-hmm. I mean, a year ago. And uh, I have a friend of mine who is a um, neurologist that specializes in strokes that had just come back to town from Thanksgiving. And he said, come over, come over to my house and we'll, we'll read your scans. And he starts, you know, at this point, everyone just said, you have a brain lesion. We just have to figure out what the lesion is, you know, could, and be, could be a mess. So if someone told me that I wouldn't know anything about it. No. Right? And, so and that's didn't... the thing about this. When they say the lesion too, I'm like, at that point, I'm like, oh, maybe this is something from my childhood or just a scar or right. something, you know, but that's not the case. If you ever, you ever get told you have a brain lesion, you got a problem, <laughs> you know, that's, 
So I go to my friend's house and he's going to read the disc and he's like, oh, you know, I'm sure I could probably ease your mind. It's probably not as bad. You know, we'll, we'll see what's going on with you. And he starts reading the disc. He gets it open. And he's like, hmm, mm-hmm. ooh. Uh, and he goes, um, if this was me or my family, I would get this biopsy right away. I'm like, okay, or, you know, what, what do you think? I'm like, you know, I'm like, what do you think? What do you think it could be? And he goes, well, this could very well likely be glioblastoma, which is the kiss of death. I mean, you're six, seven months left of your life if you got that. And were you there with Renee when this was happening? No, I was there with my brother. Oh. My brother had come to town to see me out of the hospital. So at, at that point, I didn't even know what glioblastoma was. Yeah. I, I got in the car and looked it up and saw how bad it was. And I was just like, I, literally, I went home that night and I was like, Renee, I think I'm dying. I think this is done. Let's, let's, what are we going to do? Like, you know, we'll start figuring out, you know, how we're going to spend my last days. And um, shit, I can't imagine. I had, um, I had, a, I had a, an appointment to see a neurosurgeon, um, this guy, Dr. Gore, Thursday. So basically from Monday night till Thursday, I thought I had glioblastoma. <laughs> you know, I thought that's what I was going to be told. And then when I got to Dr. Gore, he had all the MRIs and he took it to the tumor board. If you get a, a bad cancer or a brain tumor, there's literally a tumor board in Portland where like doctors, neurosurgeons and nurses and stuff from all the hospitals will look at these discs and then they'll um, debate what they think this treatment should be mm. and what they what they they're guessing in the classification of what you have is and in the same network or is this just a board of port a, a board it's the not the same of networks the best yeah of portland best of portland wow so dr gore was like we absolutely are 99 percent sure this isn't glioblastoma we, we we think it's a stage two glioma which is glioblastoma stage four glioma mm. and so uh that's what it ended up being and you know i went you know from about this time till you know, I think February 8th, I had my surgery of really trying to, you know, at that moment, that, that day, Dr. Gore was like, look, we can biopsy it, but we're going to do just as much damage and it's going to be just as much healing as just taking it out where it's at. So what, let's not have two surgeries. Let's have one. Let's just get right. that thing out of you. So you had to go six weeks with. Yeah. Two months. Yeah. Yeah. Then, well, yeah. November, yeah. Yeah, December, January, yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right, right. That's, yeah. That's, that's nine, that's yeah. uh, nine yeah. weeks, not yeah. six. Yep. Um, and it's been a little rocky since then, right? So you, when you first came, when you came out of surgery, I believe it was all looking better. Yeah, yeah. Then, you know, getting out of surgery was, you know, was very, you know, basically when I got out of surgery, I, I ended up flipping hospitals at the last minute. I really wanted to do it at OHSU. And I was having a hard time getting into there. And then finally I got a referral to this doctor. Um, his name's Dr. Han and, uh, amazing, amazing guy and just great doctor and, you know, great personal relationships about what you're going through. Uh, Dr. Gore was a little dry, you know, but he was highly recommended. Um, so I got out of the surgery and they, you know, at that point you, you don't with a brain tumor, you just don't know what it's going to be until they do a biopsy. Mm-hmm. And they had a, a guy doing the biopsy in the, in the emergency room, in the room, operating room. Um, and then they sent samples out and the first, you know, I woke up, so you're, you're waking up from a brain surgery and you're like, now what's next? If it's. And they don't stage. have the results back from the biopsy when you they, wake no, up. No, they have it. Oh, they they have, have it at that. They have a good guess. Not mm-hmm. not 100%, but a good guess. 
So if it's stage three or up, you know, I'm going, I was going chemo and radiation. Mm. Next. And even some stage twos, they'll recommend that for, for my age group. Um, so I woke up and they said, actually, you're like the, the, the first pathologist said, um, I, I, I can't even find a mutation and they labeled it glio atypical, which was really not any tumor at all. And that, that classification, the second biopsy came in and they said the same thing and I was set free. And at that point I was like, oh, maybe just weird, nothing. And so, uh, you know, I went through recovery about two months out and then my, my personal doctor called me up when he goes, John, I, I, I don't like this. You know, what we, what we have is indecisive. We don't know. We don't know if it's can't, you know, we don't know if it's benign, malignant. We just don't, we, we don't have enough information. We, he, he, he's like, I want to send it to the best. So we, we sent it to San Francisco university's pathology uh, unit and, and they found, um, some mutated, uh, astrocytomas. So that group in Portland never found, never saw that, or they hadn't met at that point to look at they that. They hadn't met at that, at that uh, point. Yeah. 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 That group is just for like the pre, the pre, you know, determining. So then it got reclassified as a, a stage two glioma. And, and the thing about, they said that if I was young, if I was a kid or a teenager, that the density of the mutations would only be classified as a stage one. Mm -hmm. But when you get over, I think 30, you can never, you're, you're automatic. A little bit is automatically stage two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and where, where did it go from there? Where, and where, well, you? you know, recovery was tough. I mean, it was like, you know, wiped out for three weeks, tired. Um, Definitely. And that's hard for you because you're a high energy. Yeah, I got person. you know I had a little some some little glitchy things in the brain like you know just memory lapses and you know kind of you know things you know and then what what turned out after about six about four weeks after recovery was and pretty much anyone who goes through brain surgery will say this is just you know a really intense anxiety and depression. Uh, your brain's rewiring. Um, your information's going backwards. It's not. And, and that's what that causes. And are they giving you medication? To yeah, we, we tried a few different medications. The first, you know, first one was okay. Didn't really do it that much. And then they, they, they kind of wanted to go more anxiety route and not doing uh, benzos. They put me on this thing called Bruce Bar, and it really didn't do anything. And then we tried Zoloft and, and that, that seems to be working. Okay. You know, I still, I still have, uh, I still don't feel like all the way myself. Right. And how about Renee? How is she handling all of this? It's been and, hard. And your family. It's and, hard. And all you know, the people, a lot of people love you. So. Yeah. I mean, Renee has a hard time with it. She feels like um, she should be able to make me happy or come out of it, you know, like, you know, and I try to explain to her that I, I'm, it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not environmental. It's not anything going on. It's just what's in my head. It's just, it's a little dark. Mm -hmm. And um, do you, can you, I've gone through depression before and yeah. it's really hard to see yeah. the light. Yeah. So uh, now having looked back, I can see, wow, they're, they're, yeah. I'm living in light now, yeah. but I couldn't see it. Yeah. Can you, can you see it? Are you, um, I don't know. You know, like I, it's, it's weird. I, I have, I have my, my moments where I'm living normal and I'm feeling fine. And then it just over, and then like a dark cloud comes over me and I have a really hard time getting out of it. It usually takes me, a, you know, like, you know, from hearing from my wife and kid, you know, Renee and my kids is they'll notice it 
you know, a week before I'll notice it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'll go to them and I'm like, oh, I'm really having a hard time. And they're like, oh, we know. <laughs> so um, I've never, you know, I've, I, I thought I'd, you know, I've, I've had sad times in my life and thought I knew what depression was. But after this, I, I have a different respect and yeah, organic depression is very different than just sadness and yeah, yeah, and and str- stress from yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So well, I, I can say after this, I'd never been depressed before this. Yeah, yeah, and now you know yeah what it feels like, and you have, and so when things, I mean, I found the natural inclination when you hear about Anthony Bourdain or Robin Williams is, and I was watching with my son last night. We were watching a lot of Bourdain, and, I, and he looks so incredibly happy it was the last year of his life yeah and it's so hard you just can't explain it yeah uh, you can't but so here's this guy who's on writing yeah he's you know when i was really depressed i couldn't work at all i couldn't get anything done couldn't even return an email to say yes yeah. i'll meet you on tuesday but he's doing all this stuff really well and so yeah depression you just can't uh there, you can't put your finger on anybody's depression you yeah that was a hard one for the industry. You know, I, I really think so, so many of us felt a connection to Anthony and, you know, I met him a couple of times and seemed like a great guy. And, you know, I, I, it was, this is the thing about depression, you know, like, you know, and, and, and trying to have empathy in life. My, my selfish side goes, how dare you be the king of the hill and tell us all it's not good enough with a daughter. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like every chef in this country would love to have his life and his job and what he did. And if it wasn't good enough, I am right away. I was like, man, you know, how many people in my kitchens are going to be like, screw this, man. If, yeah. if if that's what the top looks like, what am I? What am I in this for? Yeah, I don't think it was just the industry. I mean, as a no, I don't think so either. You know, I, mean, I, I looked at him and envied him. Like that is the perfect job. I would, yeah, you know, not. Yeah. As a chef, but as a, yeah. you know, traveling the world and introducing, and he did it so fucking well. Yeah. You know, no one can, no one will ever take his place. Yeah, and he seemed like, you know, just a really good human being. Like, you know, he, he should have, you know, you think you should have, you think, and I get this after being depressed and, you know, anyone who's had it, you just can't, you can't see the good when you're in that state. Right, but he, but what I marvel at is how, I don't know when they filmed all those episodes, but... They had to be close to his death, and he um, he just looks happy. We were yeah. watching it last night. He just looks like he's okay. So my point is that you can't. Yeah, you know, it, I thought you couldn't hide it, yeah. but he's either he wasn't feeling it then, and yeah, you know I've, I've I, I, I rumors can, I can, about I can, love I can, and romance that I can were the fake problem. It, fake it pretty well myself, you know. I can I I. I, you know, like, trust me, I, I, there's been many a times in this, in this recovery where I would love to just have been in bed for a week and not got out and, you know, wallowed in it, but I, I don't, you know, there was a, there was a, you know, right after I started getting back on my feet, I, I kind of was going down that path and Renee gave me some tough blood and she's like, you know, God damn it, you know, get yourself up for the kids and, you know, stop, you know, connect, connect, connect with them. They don't deserve that. So, so that tough love was good. For sure. Yeah, and I would imagine not only your family, but your work, your work family. Yeah, you got you. You know, you got a lot of people looking up to you. So, um, and not to put the pressure on you, this is not news to you. Yeah, but. no, I I try to not bring it there, not 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 let them see it. You know, I don't want people to work for me because they feel like they have to. You know, like I want them to be there because they want to be there. 
So I didn't. I, I didn't. I never tried to put my, my you know, my personal, you know, struggles for for their burden. Right. Well, and it's a little easier to keep it away from them because you can just decide not to go into the restaurant that yeah. day. Yeah. Whereas at home, um, yeah, you have to go home. You're, you're there. Yeah. And yeah. so, speaking of which, you you uh, you have a nice new home. You're kind of down yeah. from you know up up a little bit. And, yeah. Uh, I just a had different a really, environment. Has I, that helped you? Yeah. I really had a strong desire to to be in nature after the surgery. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, we 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 found a, a fixer. It was it was definitely a fixer. But that's fun. With you're, an amazing piece of property, right. you know, in the woods, and uh, so moved into the woods. You really can't see any of our neighbors. You know, we have a couple acres, lots of trees, mm-hmm. um, lots of wildlife out there, and just it's it's been the change I needed. I think um, you know I kind of do the same thing. I don't have acres between me and anybody else, but. Um, yeah, I have a lot. I have a, a relationship with nature out in yeah. Nehalem and Manzanita that I think you know. I mentioned I had depression years ago. I think that is a an organic way to fight it. Yeah, to just get out and breathe. And yeah, when you start to feel the walls close in, and you get out, and there's wide open sky and yeah. no, no stimulus other than just taking it in. Yeah, right away. You know, I I, I definitely knew the tools for depression. And I and I went right to them. I you know like right when I. Right after the surgery, right as soon as I could exercise again, I, I started walking. Like literally, I think in the summer I was walking close to twelve to fifteen miles every day. That's a lot. Yeah. To take on. Yeah. Um. But it was like the only time I felt peaceful. You know, it was like just getting out and walking. And then I started inviting some people to walk with me. You know, you know to try to. Though I was having a really hard time with human contact. Just like uh, that was my a lot of my anxiety was that that person to person contact after mm-hmm. the surgery. Interesting. Yeah. What about what about dog? Uh, love Does my dogs. Yeah. yeah, I got, got you, two dogs. You got two. Yeah. I didn't know you had two. Yeah. So are they both Labradoodles? No, or? I have one Golden Doodle. One Golden Doodle. And I have a um, Lopsop, so Poodle Mix. Oh, cool. Also, little, little lap dog. And how old is that guy? Uh, she's two. She. Yeah. I, I got her last January, new. right before the surgery. I just wanted, my big dog doesn't get on furniture. So, like, you know, we, we he's too, too big and goofy and dirty to get on furniture. But the little one was, I just wanted something to, you know, be a lap dog and help me heal. And she did that. And she's doing it. So yeah. just contact yeah. and just, yeah. and they, they're never really piss, pissing you off because <laughs> a little bit sometimes. Well, yeah, but it's yeah. a different, you, you got, yeah. that's sort of unconventional. Yeah. Dogs they're, are they're, they're, yeah they're I, dogs. Know. I know. Yeah. So, um, so great. So, um, what else do you have planned for, what what are you looking? What's going to make you happier in 2019? Other than, now <laughs> yeah. that's a big project. Tasting, I, I, you know, I I think I think really what I got to do is focus more on health. You know, I I need to get back into the gym. I've still been I'll be getting on the bike and exercising, but I you know not. I, I'd I'd like to get myself. You know, one of the things the doctor said afterwards, there was was talking about lifestyle, and they're like, well, look, you know, chances are you're going to get another tumor. You know, that's the thing about these gliomas is they mm. like to come back. So. You know, they're like, we, we don't think you're going to get one until your, you know, your, your older years of life. So, uh, you know, hopefully that's, that's true. And you're also and they, hoping there's, there are advancements in that. Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and they, and they, you know, the next thing they said is, is get yourself as healthy as possible. So if you ever need chemo and radiation, you can withstand it. So that's kind of where I'm at in my headspace is, you know, just, I need to get myself to that point where, you know, I'm strong enough to, to take that if that's what I have to do. So is that, um, is that daunting for you? Because 
you've lost a shitload of weight in your life. Yeah. You, you yeah. lost it and then put a little back on. I, yeah. I, I'm saying that because yeah. Yeah. I've done the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, and especially as a chef. I love that. I love exercise. I love the way I feel afterwards. That's definitely the, the best cure for depression. And so uh, I, it's just that getting it kickstarted, getting it into the routine. That, that's my goal for the new year is to get that routine back. It's, it's kind of like giving up sugar. Yeah. Once you get past the month, yeah, of it, then yeah. it becomes a little yeah. easier. So same thing with yeah. uh, with exercise. Um, so uh, are you going to be traveling? Uh, and that also makes it a little difficult because when you travel, you're going to some incredible yeah food opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, yeah, we're going to do the food tour again next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be our third year with the group I'm doing it with, and we're going to do uh, Galicia. We're going to do, I think we're going to start in Barcelona and do Burgos, Lyon, and then Santiago area. What, uh, when, when is that going to be? Probably, we like the time of year we did this year, so October next year. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we just scheduled our um, our Italy. Oh, nice. Going to Bologna and Emilia Romagna. So, and it'd be awesome if somehow we, you could come hang out with us, and I'd love to. Oh, I would love, as I would, long as I would, I'm over yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then this, uh, this spring we have it, the family, you know, we travel a lot and we have it in the last two years because of everything. And so we're all talking about going to Greece this spring. Oh, that will be a nice trip. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, that looks, is that a good time of year to go in the spring? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's gotta be, you want it yeah. to be warm yeah. Yeah. and tropical over there. Yeah. So, so, you know, we're talking about, you know, my, my girls love Paris so we're talking about flying in to Paris, maybe staying in Paris for a day or two, and then taking a side trip, to, you know, flying from Paris to Greece. Fantastic. So yeah. when you were a young chef, did could you ever envision you'd be sitting here in Portland, Oregon, talking about flying to Paris and Greece? And all these, and all <laughs> I, o- I always, uh, you know, I've always said I'm, I'm working for plane tickets and, you know, so it was always my goal. I was always one to roam and be, be, you know, even at a young age, you know, when I first got my first car, you know, I was the 16-year-old that took the 2,000-mile road trip. You know, and, and called called mom up and said, "Hey, I'm I'm on the other side of the country right now. I'll be home in a week." Best thing. Yeah. You know, I have a really hard time understanding not only younger generation, but a lot of people in Portland who just like oh, I don't need a car. I for me, it's it's there's so much freedom to yeah. getting in the car. And also, as opposed to flying somewhere, you can just throw things in there. You yeah, don't have to worry yeah. about security. Now um, that I've gotten older, I'm like, after three hours, I fly. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a three-hour drive radius. Really? That, oh, that's not very long. And no. you're, did you uh, did you lose your Volkswagen yet? You're, no, no, I still have it. I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence of whether I want to get rid of it or not. Oh, you put a it's little such some a classic. Uh, yeah, it's such a classic, and it's, 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 it's amazing. It's, it's, I'll never get another one like it. Yeah, the, well, the, the more time that goes on, there are fewer and fewer. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not one of those 23 windows. It's not that old. No, it's a 91. It's the last year of the Vanigans. The Vanigan. Yeah, okay. and it's the Karat, so it's the hardtop camper. Nice. Uh, it, I've got it. Was It's one owner before me. Mm-hmm. So one family had it, and it's got like 80,000 miles on it. And so no, is nothing, it enough? Nothing's broken. Everything works, which is a rarity. Can all of you go in there and... and it's got to be too small for your family now, right? No, no, just only, you know, just, this summer we, you know, R- R- Ruby, I mean, Royal, our little one slept with us in there and that was, that was tight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I so we'll get a so. tent. It's got a, it's got a canopy and we just put a tent. So it's all kind of together. Oh, nice. Yeah. Do you like the camping? I do like camping. 
Renee's not so much into it as I am. Right. I would do a lot more of it if Renee was a little more into it, but come on, Renee. Yeah. And now, I now, that. now we have the now that we have the house we have, it's you, you know, in the summer oh, in the summertime you're outdoors all day long. You know, it's like that's that's gonna be a hard thing this next summer is like just not wanting to leave the house. Right. And so uh, have you renovated it? Or are you in the process? Process. Of- my I, I get my kitchen delivered to me by Christmas. Oh, good. So, yeah, so they actually start, start demoing the old kitchen out Wednesday. And so how long will it take? It's probably nice to take a while to do it, but how long will it take till you get the house? The, the- my, my, guess, my guess is on this house, it's, it's going to be a five-year project. Huh. And that's fun to do a little yeah, by little and yeah. build it I mean, we've done a it. lot. We've done a lot. We, you know, we... New furnace, new hot water heater, all new wood floors in the house. Uh, you know, the whole house needed to be painted, you know, lots of landscaping, built a deck off the bedroom, put in French doors off the bedroom, Nice. you know, took out a chimney in the middle of the kitchen to open it up, took out a wall. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a good start. Yeah. So it, we've done a lot, but you know, we got to, we got to remodel two bathrooms in the house and this is, this house was built in the 1940s, it's owned by two people. And, uh, For the whole time, you're the second owner. I'm the third. The so third. The, the the first owners were the owners of um, a company called Consolidated Freight, I and they that. they moved a lot of lumber, and so the house has got really crazy lumber in it, like you know American walnut walls and you know big hand hewn you know, like timbers that are holding you know for beams and crazy things like that that we we, we you know brought back to life, uh-huh. and. Um, so it's it's going to be special when we're done. It's it's a, it's you know an old country cottage. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I wish you many years of health and happiness and um, good times in there. You got your first holidays coming up. Yeah. You just have did you, you, your kitchen's not in. So did you did I, well. My, my, I have a kitchen. I have it makeshift, and we did we did Thanksgiving at our house. We had third third. You know, Renee's got a big family. It was like thirty five people. Oh, good. Yeah. And you're going to do Christmas there too. No. We we have a tradition for Christmas. We've it'll be our fifteenth year. Fifteenth year, we we go to dim sum every Christmas morning. All right, right, right. And then uh, we you know we we hope for a long wait, and we we bring a bar and hot chocolate and movies for the kids, and we sit out in the parking lot and tailgate the dim sum wait. How did that start? Who had that idea? Fifteen years, sixteen years. We started ago? it. I started it fifteen years ago with you know like it, with, with my ex wife, and when my first daughter was born, this was before she was even one, we just didn't really have, you know, I don't have family out here and neither did my ex. And so we were like, let's do something on Christmas that's unique and kind of, you know, a Christmas story kind of sparked it, you know, going to the Chinese restaurant on Christmas. Well, we used to do that for Thanksgiving, Christmas. I don't know if you knowing that, because I've seen your posts that you're doing it, inspired me. But a couple of years ago, I went up to and stayed in Chinatown in Victoria, BC for Christmas. Oh, nice. And we did dim sum. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not sure, but it's not something I can see myself necessarily thinking of. So maybe I was inspired by yeah. that. Yeah. Was, so. it's, it's, been, it's been awesome. You know, it's, we usually have about somewhere between 20 and 30 people join us. We, we actually get a lot of people who come just for the tailgating part and mm-hmm. come have a couple of drinks with us and then leave. And so are they a lot of displaced people? Meaning my cousin in San Francisco has a, an incredible Thanksgiving, uh, people in the food industry, yeah. but they don't have any family there. So this is where they go for Thanksgiving. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, party. yeah, it's a lot of that. And, you know, and, and now we have, you know, I think like I have my friend Allie, she's coming and you know, this is her 10th year. She's been there every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damien, my operations guy has been there like, you know, probably eight out of 10 years. 
Cool. Well, um, we could continue this because I could talk to you forever, but we'll have to do that over lunch. All or, right. Or, Sounds or good. Or something somewhere. Even dinner sometime. Yep. Let's go grab something. All right. Uh, maybe ringside someday. Yeah. I know yeah. you're a ringside. I love, I love ringside. Ringside fan. Yeah. Let's go there sometime. All right, John. Thanks so much for coming in. I know you're busy. Good luck with Tasty and Daughters. Yep. It's going to take a little getting used to yeah. saying <laughs> yeah. that, but it's it's a fairly easy transition. And... Uh, and home and health and everything. So thanks so much for coming in. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right